Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, October 8th, 2017, on the basis of Romans 3, verses 21 and 22. How would you like to be bulletproof? I'm sure you're aware that we often use that word, we often use that description in sort of a metaphorical sense, right? Someone who is bulletproof is resilient, tough, impervious to attack. People who are bulletproof can rise above criticism. They can withstand negative external influences. They can resist adverse circumstances. And in that metaphorical sense, I think you'd probably agree that it would be a a good thing for a person to be bulletproof. Of course, in the wake of the horrific events that happened in Las Vegas last Sunday, it's a little bit tougher to use that word, that description, in that metaphorical sense. Seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? When real guns start raining down real bullets on real people with real flesh and blood, the only kind of bulletproof that seems to be of any value is not the metaphorical kind, but the literal kind. In a world where things like that are increasingly common and increasingly difficult to understand. How in the world can we feel safe? How in the world can we make sure our loved ones are safe? How can we protect innocent people from people with such evil intentions? As much as it's a good thing to be bulletproof in the metaphorical sense, I'm sure you'd agree it'd be even better to be bulletproof in the literal sense, right? So when I ask, how would you like to be bulletproof, which of those two do I mean, literally or metaphorically? More importantly than that, which of those two is even possible? More than that, which of those two do we have any chance of actually getting by looking at these verses from Romans chapter 3 this morning? How about both? See, the the topic that Paul talks about in these verses from Romans chapter 3 today is arguably the most important idea in the entire New Testament. It's really the theme of Paul's entire letter to the Romans. At times, a discussion of the topic that's in front of us today can sometimes seem a bit academic, a bit ethereal or abstract, and yet I want to assure you right at the outset, it is eminently practical. You see, elsewhere, Paul takes this very same idea and he actually compares it to a breastplate. In today's terms, we would say a bulletproof vest. What Paul is talking about in these verses is, in fact, our bulletproof vest. And even better than any body armor made out of iron or titanium or Kevlar, this bulletproof vest is able to keep us safe against all attacks against anything that would damage our psyche and anything that would harm our body. Looking at these verses, we will see how how this idea that Paul talks about helps us become bulletproof in both senses. And as we look at these verses today, we're going to see three things. First of all, what is it? What is this bulletproof vest that Paul is talking about? Second of all, how do we get it? And then third of all, how does it help us? So first of all, what is it? What is this thing that Paul tells us makes us bulletproof? Well, in these verses, Paul calls it righteousness. Righteousness is someone else's approval of you. So someone looks at you, someone carefully assesses you, and they decide that you are okay. They give you the thumbs up. They give you their approval. 
In Paul's day, that word righteousness had its native setting in the context of a courtroom. So a judge would carefully assess all of the details of a case. He would look at the defendant standing trial in front of him, and he would render a verdict of not guilty. That's righteousness. Now, as a general rule, how much a person matters to us also correlates to how much their approval matters to us, how much we need approval from them. So, for example, if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's someone right next to you who is yelling at you and waving a profane gesture your way, I'm guessing you can just sort of brush that off, right? But if all of a sudden out of, your, out of the blue your spouse says that you are a worthless, pathetic excuse for a human being, I'm guessing that would hurt a little bit more, right? How much a person matters to us is directly correlated to how much their approval matters to us. Well, in these verses, Paul is talking about the righteousness of God. He's talking about God's approval. The person whose opinion matters most. The person whose approval is the hardest to come by. The person whose standards are absolute perfection. The person before whom even one sin, even one misstep means disapproval, that this God would look at us, carefully assess us, know everything about us, know us inside and out, and still give his full, formal, official approval. That's the righteousness of God. That's what Paul says makes us bulletproof. But before we discuss how it does that, we need to discuss how we get it. That's what the righteousness of God is. So, so how do we get it? Well, realize that in the life of Martin Luther, this was a question that plagued him, absolutely vexed him for more than the first three decades of his life. He was a man who was on a quest for God's approval. And for much of his life, he sought that approval in all of the ways that the church told him he could find it. He sought it by doing all of the right things, by confessing all of those times when he didn't do the right things. Eventually, this quest for God's approval took Martin Luther to the monastery. He decided he needed to become a monk to get God's approval. If he could just withdraw from all of the cares, all of the distractions of this world, if he could spend his days in solitude, in devout prayer, study, and meditation of God's word, then maybe he could be confident that he had God's approval. But even then, he still didn't find it. In fact, looking back on those years, Martin Luther made this comment. He said, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. This concept of God's approval, the righteousness of God, was something that Martin Luther despised. He hated it because he thought it depended on him. And he thought for sure he couldn't possibly have it. But then he came to understand what Paul was talking about in his letter to the Romans, including the verses that are in front of us today. How in the world can someone have God's approval? Paul could not be more clear. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This 
righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God's approval comes apart from the law. God's approval comes through faith. In fact, faith and work are polar opposites, mutually exclusive propositions. As I tried to demonstrate with the kids, faith means doing nothing. Faith means trusting someone else to do everything. And of course, in this context, in the context of the righteousness of God, faith means trusting in what Jesus did to be absolutely everything that we need. How does a person get God's approval? How are they righteous before God? Paul's answer is crystal clear, through faith in Jesus alone. Can you imagine how that felt for Martin Luther after more than three decades of searching in vain to be confident that he had God's approval? Here's how he described it. There, in Paul's letter to the Romans, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again, a completely new man, you might say, and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Friends, 500 years later, that concept of righteousness before God through faith alone is no less radical than it was in Martin Luther's day. It is no less contrary to our inborn human nature. We are still just as inclined to think that God's approval is contingent on something we do. In fact, maybe, thing, maybe the only thing that has changed throughout the years is that we have devised newer and more sophisticated ways of thinking that God's approval depends on us. We probably start out in the same ways that Martin Luther did. We think that, that God's approval depends on our good behavior. It depends on being kind to other people. It depends on our devout spiritual life, our earnest prayers, our weekly church attendance. But then even when we hear that the righteousness of God comes through faith alone, really all that means is that we graduate to a new level. And we're tempted to, to think of new, more devious ways to think that our Approval before God depends on us, and that's when the devil tempts us to take faith and turn even that into something we do, to turn even that into a work. Faith becomes something that we take credit for. Faith becomes something that some people are capable of having, but other people aren't capable of having. Faith becomes something that we scrutinize and we analyze to make sure it's good enough and big enough as if the blessings that we receive through faith depend on faith's quantity, or quality. All of those are just new and devious ways of turning faith into work, thinking as though our approval before God depends on us. 500 years later, we still need to be told again and again and again what God's word says. We need God's nagging voice, you might say, to tell us over and over again that God's approval comes through faith. God's approval comes by doing nothing. It comes by trusting Jesus to do everything. As strange and as paradoxical as it sounds, faith means doing no work. And that takes a whole lot of work. That takes our diligent attention to God's word where he says over and over and over again what we need to hear. How do we get God's approval? Through faith alone, through faith alone, through 
faith alone. And friends, 500 years later, that truth still has the ability to make us bulletproof. It still takes hearts that are often just as troubled as Luther's was, and it makes them absolutely still. It removes all fear, it removes all uncertainty, it removes all doubt, and it replaces it with calm, certain confidence. In fact, here's how that looked in the life of Martin Luther. Last week I mentioned how it was in 1519 when Luther stood up with John Eck for this public debate in the city of Leipzig. Following that debate, the church, the pope, issued this decree that Martin Luther was guilty of 41 different counts of heresy and therefore was being excommunicated from the church. That doesn't sound like it would really mean all that much or hurt your feelings all that badly. Think about it from Luther's perspective. He was a monk. He was a priest. He was a professor at a theological institution. He was fully immersed and embedded in the church, and now that very church was kicking him out. It would be like if you were a nurse, and all of a sudden the Surgeon General came up to you and said, you are awful at your job and have no business setting foot in a hospital ever again. It would be like if you were a software engineer and Bill Gates came up to you and said that you were not qualified to program your clock radio at home. From the standpoint of metaphorical bullets, nothing could have been worse. Nothing could have been more hurtful to Luther than hearing that. Did it stop him? No. Fast forward two more years, and Luther, already in trouble with the church, was now going to be in trouble with the state. 1521 the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V summoned Luther to this hearing in the German city of Worms. You see, Charles V, he didn't really care a whole lot about this religious stuff, but he did care about peace in his empire, and he was very upset with all of the trouble that Luther was making. He concluded that the easiest way for there to be peace once again was for Luther to take back every single thing that he had ever said or written. Here's a picture of an, well, an artist's depiction of that hearing the Diet of Worms. In response to the emperor's request, Luther famously said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Luther didn't take back anything he had written. In response to what Luther said, the emperor declared Luther to be an outlaw, outside of the protection of the law. In fact, shortly after that diet, Emperor Charles V said this, I have decided to mobilize everything against Luther, my kingdoms and dominions, my friends, my body, my blood, and my soul. Now, I counted that carefully. That is fewer than 140 characters. Imagine if our president tweeted something like that. All of the power, all of the military might at his disposal directed at a private citizen of his empire. Can you imagine that? Luther lived the rest of his life under this threat. Did it stop him? No. Luther had become bulletproof. And 500 years later, the truth that we are saved through faith alone has the same ability to do that for you and me. When those metaphorical bullets start flying, when Satan uses your sins to accuse you, when your resume makes you feel like you're a failure, when your friends make fun of you, 
when your parents tell you you're a disappointment, when your children tell you you're the worst parent ever. Who cares? Why in the world would those things matter to us when we have God's full, formal, official approval? When God looks at us and sees us as if we were Jesus, as if everything Jesus had done and said and accomplished in his life had been accomplished by us. We are bulletproof against those accusations. What about when the literal bullets start flying? Will God's approval stop them? Will the righteousness of God deflect them away onto somebody else? No. But God's approval does protect us from those things. It does make us impervious to those attacks. In fact, you could take a literal bullet, have it go through your literal skin, right into your literal heart, have it cease your heartbeat, literally cause your brain waves to stop, literally take your life away, and you could still literally say that that bullet had not harmed you one bit. That bullet had not taken one single thing that is truly and really of any value to you. Your greatest possessions, still yours. In fact, that bullet hasn't even taken your loved ones from you. It's just separated you from a t- for a time. It hasn't taken away or changed for one second the place and the existence where you would spend the majority of your life anyways. In fact, it has only hastened the day on which you begin to enjoy it. You are completely impervious to those literal bullets as well. What a thought to walk around with each day. That in a world where there is war and terrorism and nuclear bombs, in a world where there is cancer and heart disease, in a world where there is road rage, and yes, even mass shootings. What protects you is not stricter gun laws, not better mental health. It's not if you have guns of your own or whether your security system is state of the art. It's not the US Army. It's not our national health care laws. People could make the arguments, of course, that each and every one of those things makes you safer to a degree. But none of them makes you bulletproof. What makes you bulletproof is the righteousness of God. And you have it because it is still through faith alone. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org. Thank you.